in the heart of Africa. There is a place known as the land of a thousand hills, lush and green, a land of great vibrancy, full of life, red fertile soil that supports some of the most beautiful landscapes you'll ever see. And yet, like all places in the world where we find tremendous beauty, we also find brokenness, orphaned and vulnerable children with no memory of parents, unseen by society without the assurance of a meal, the security of shelter or the dignity of work. But in the gap we find between God's beauty and our brokenness, we believe that God can build a bridge, that grace received and grace shared can turn mourning into dancing, great grief into immeasurable joy, bondage and brokenness, into hope restored and hope renewed. And so today, you are invited on a journey to Rwanda, as together we remember the central affirmation God's story is a story of grace. Well, I want to welcome you this morning uh, to those here in the chapel who are at the well, those upstairs uh, in the loft at the Well Cafe. Uh, welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as the senior pastor here. And especially if you're a first-time guest uh, in either one of those venues, we want you to know how excited we are you're here. We'd love to answer any questions you have about the life of our church or just, just meet you personally after the service at our connecting point, which is right outside both of these worship spaces. Uh, let me start by doing a few housekeeping things. First, I want you to find your bulletin. Uh, hopefully you got one of those on the way in. And I want to invite you just to turn that over on the back side as a place uh, where you can take some notes, and I would love for you to do that today, to write down those things that you want to remember or reflect on in the week ahead, and there's also some, uh, some things I'd like you to write down on that, on that piece of paper. The first thing I'd like you to do, if you have a pen at the top of that notes page, if you'll just write the word faith, uh, F-A-I-T-H, faith, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, and I hope that by the end of the message, you have a little bit more concrete understanding of a word that you may have heard in church for quite some time, but maybe a little vague for you as you think about what it means to live with faith. Uh, so I, w I want you to write that down on the top of your notes. Uh, also, if you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Jeremiah 29, that's where we're going to be today. If you did not bring your Bible, uh, here in the chapel and upstairs in the loft, we have some blue Bibles that we have provided for you. And on the screen, you'll see the page number for Jeremiah 29. If you brought your own Bible, it's about there. Okay, so it's a little, little past halfway. Uh, if you get to Psalms or Isaiah, keep moving to the right. Uh, Jeremiah 29 is where we're going to be. Uh, and before we dive in there, uh, you already heard about our Easter services that are coming up uh, here real soon in a couple of weeks. Uh, we are going to be at the uh, Center for the Performing Arts for Saturday night at 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock uh, Sunday morning, uh, and also at 11 o'clock. Uh, that morning as well. And I want you to be looking forward to that. I want you to be thinking about who you might invite to be a part of that service. And the other thing I want to encourage you to do is if you are willing to come and help us greet and welcome people who are going to be there, uh, we have sign-up sheets at our connecting points, all of our connecting points on campus today. Uh, and again, if you'd be willing to smile, say welcome, then you're qualified to be a greeter for, for one of those services. And that's a great gift that you can give to the many who will come and be with us uh, for our Easter services. So I want you to know about that. 
If you're a first-time guest and you haven't been here for this series, let me just reset a few things for you. We have been sharing uh, some videos and stories from a recent trip that we took to Rwanda. And we went to the Rwanda for the purpose of reconnecting with some orphan communities that we support there in partnership with a ministry called Zoe Ministry. And what our gifts do through Zoe is fund a three-year empowerment program with kids. Uh, we're in the second um, uh, second version of that. So we did a uh, thousand kids. We supported a thousand kids from 2010 through 2012, and then we started another group of a thousand, which are located throughout Rwanda uh, at that time. And the ki- and those kids will graduate at the end of this year, 2015. And so in going there, we had the opportunity this time to not only see kids who are in the program about to finish, they're in the last year, they're going to graduate at the end of this year, but we also had the chance to reconnect with kids who graduated in 2012, meaning they've moved beyond any financial assistance that we might provide or or any insight or or guidance that Zoe uh, social workers might provide. They're three years beyond that, and so we got to kind of reconnect with them and see where they are in their life today. And I want to tell you quickly about two of them uh, before we dive into Jeremiah 29. The first one is one that we've been holding uh, to share with you because we knew that you would be excited uh, to, to hear this update. If you've been to Christmas Eve the last couple of years, you've heard the story of Grace, a young girl who we met in, in 2012, who was a part of that group of a thousand, and you've heard her story as we've talked about Zoe. And one of the things that we really uh, hoped would happen when we went back to Rhonda is we hoped that we would have time to reconnect with Grace and, and be able to share with you an update on her story. So what you're going to see is a little bit of the video that you've seen already before, sharing with you about what we experienced when we were there in 2012, as well as an update of how she's doing today. So let's, let's watch this video. This is Grace. She lives in Rwanda, where her life began as a nightmare. When Grace was one year old, she lost her entire family. Her mother, father, and nine brothers and sisters were all victims of the genocide. She lived on the street, and her only dream was food for the day. Then Grace met Zoe. Zoe helps orphans in Africa out of poverty. Zoe helped Grace to dream bigger. Zoe taught Grace to farm, gave her three bowls of beans and a plot of land. Look what Grace has done. From three bowls of beans, Grace harvested 30 bowls, then rice, then bananas, chicken, pigs, and goats. And this summer, Grace got a cow. From homeless to homeowner, from orphan girl to adoptive mother. Now Grace is living her dream. Amazing! what grace can do.
My name is Nyiratumi Grace, and uh, last time when you came to visit me, I was a girl, but nowadays I'm a woman. She's married, she's still working in the group, and uh, the group members are like sisters and brothers. Before the ministry, she was all alone. She has nobody to care. She was an orphan without somebody. Nowadays, she's happy because she's got the family, because she has got a husband to support, to advise her. She has a dress. She lives with the husband. She has also given a birth of a child together with an orphan that she adopted called Mushimiye. It's a big family. Yeah, she's proud because she has got the family. She was alone before, and she loves to be with more people. She hopes that the future will be bright. What I can tell other people like me is not to be alone. Please go and join others because when you are together with others, they can help you get out of isolation. Please go and say thank you to my spirit. I am Amen. A gracious story is repeated over and over again in the, in the lives of the kids that we had the chance to connect with. and. Uh, we were so excited to see her, but also to see all these kids and, and to be able to see what they have been able to do uh, by the grace that they've received and grace that they have shared. Uh, the other group of kids that we had the chance to connect with from our 2012 uh, class uh, was a group of, of three boys who are now young men. Uh, on the second day, we came back into Batari and we went to a small shop that they run. And uh, when we pulled up, this is what we saw. This is uh, a picture of Jean-Pierre uh, sitting outside doing some wood carvings. Uh, th this is one of the items that he sells uh, in his shop. And he runs his shop with his friend Jean-Marie and his friend Erasme. And I have uh, here on our altar today uh, some of uh, the carvings that they have done for us. This is one they gave us in 2012. If you're up in the loft today, uh, there on your altar is another carving that they gave to us uh, in 2012. The one upstairs uh, has a picture of orphans gathered together around a father figure. And the father figure is embracing these kids together. And that father figure in that carving upstairs represents you. That's Mansfield. It says on the top, FUMC Mansfield, and it's a thank you to you for the way in which you have supported them. And, and uh, this is what they gave us this year. You probably can't see how, uh, how intricately this has been carved, but this is a beautiful bowl uh, that they gave us uh, when we saw them uh, on our trip this year. But when we pulled up to the shop, Teresa Sherwood, who leads our global ministry, she was there in 2012 and also there with us on this trip. She said, I needed to tell you about Jean-Marie, Jean-Pierre's Jean uh, co-worker. She told me a little bit about his story and how he had shared that with them in 2012. And she said, he said something in the course of sharing his story that I've never forgotten. He said, I knew there was a better life for me. I could see it, but I did not know how to get there. And Zoe was the bridge to my other life. And I wanted to share that with you because my sense is, my guess is that if you think about change in your own life, whether it's a change that you have already experienced or one that you would desire to see happen in your life, you might verbalize your perspective on that change in a very similar way. You might say, I can see the change that I want to, want to have happen in my life. I, I can visualize it. And there's maybe even some days where you feel like you're making progress in, in, in that regard. But, but understanding how to get there is, is really the point where we sometimes struggle. How do I get from my present circumstances to this future hope, this future possibility? And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you the teaching 
and the tool that Zoe uses to help kids in their head and in their hearts to begin to build that bridge from where they are when they start working with Zoe, which is a place of almost nothing, to this place that they want to get to, this dream that they have for their life, this point they get where they no longer need the support and nourishment of what Zoe provides for them. So Jeremiah 29, I want to read to you first verse 11, which is the theme verse for everything that Zoe does. So this simple verse is what's shared with every single kid as they come into the program. Verse 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. So this simple verse, these simple words, which many of you have heard before, this may even be a verse that over the course of your life you memorize as a source of encouragement for yourself in challenging circumstances. It's a fairly popular verse from from Jeremiah. This is the verse that's shared with every single kid who comes into the program. And what they are told is that the reason that Zoe exists is because there are people in the world who are believing in this promise on their behalf. There are people who have given of their resources because they believe that God has a plan for, the, for these kids, a plan to prosper them, not to harm them, plans to give them hope and to give them a future. What I want to share with you today is a little bit of the fuller context of this one verse, again, that many of us have heard before, where it, what it really means in the context of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter here. So this is obviously the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote this. This is a section of a letter that he sent, and he wrote this about 500 years and some change before the time of Jesus. So B.C., go back 500 years and, and a little bit more, and here's what's happening in Israel. So the Babylonians have come into Israel, and they conquered the land of Israel. And the way in which Babylon brought conquered people into submission is they forced many of them to leave their homes. They made them disperse among this empire that Babylon was building. They did this with other areas that they came in and conquered. They did the same thing when they came in, they conquered Israel. And so while some people were allowed to remain in Israel, most of them were relocated, forced from their homes, forced from the land that they believed that God had given them to go live in other parts of Babylon. And so what Jeremiah is doing here in the 29th chapter is he is writing a letter from Jerusalem. He was one of the ones who was allowed to stay. He is writing a letter uh, as a prophet, the words of God, to share with these people who are living in all of these different places throughout Babylon. And he's writing to them for two reasons. He's writing to them first to provide hope for them in what they're living through at that moment right now. And he's also hoping to encourage their faith in a moment that has not yet come. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 4. If you look in your Bible, from 4 to 23 is the, is the whole letter that Jeremiah sends. I'm going to read to you through 14, so about half the letter uh, that he sends. This is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, 
you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. In other words, those who are sharing with you a different teaching of what you should do. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried, which I have carried you into exile. So this, these are the words of Jeremiah, and here's what I want you to recognize in what Jeremiah sends to these people, that Jeremiah sends a word to them for the moment that is now, and he sends them a word for a moment that has not yet come. So first he says, for the moment that you're living in now, in these circumstances that you did not want, this, this life that you now have been given that, that none of you desired, you've lost your homes, you've lost everything that you treasure in your life, here's the word for now. What I want you to do now is I want you to build a home and I want you to plant a garden. And here's an obvious statement. Eat what that garden produces. And, and with your sons and daughters, give them to one another in marriage and encourage them to have sons and daughters. And while you're living in exile, this life that you do not want, do not decrease in number, increase in number. And while you're living in exile, this life that you did not want in the place that you did not want to go, I want you to also pray for the peace and the prosperity of the cities in which you live. Babylonian cities, by the way. Because as they prosper, so shall you prosper. So the, for the moment that is now, in this life that you did not want to live, here's the word that Jeremiah says is from God. Don't stop living your life. Don't allow the circumstances that you are living through right now, circumstances that you did not want, that none of you desire, do not let those circumstances be an excuse for you to stop living your life. Instead, build a home, plant a garden, do what you would normally do as we continue to grow and increase in number because you have to do what you need to do now if you're going to get to the moment that has not yet come. And there is a moment that has not yet come. Uh, Jeremiah says that there will be a moment in the future when God will bring you back, when you will be restored, when, when the life that you are living now will be healed and, and brought back into the place where you would want it to be. And if you don't do what you need to do now, you will never get to the moment that has not yet come. And this is the teaching. This is the backbone of everything that Zoe does. There is a word for now, and there is a vision of what has not yet come. So in your bulletin, I provided for you uh, this little simple piece of paper. I want to invite you to pull this out. It says, my dream chart on the top. And, and I want to walk you through what this is. This is the tool that every single child uh, fills out 
and they carry with them throughout their entire three-year journey with Zoe. And I'm going to show you some video of Albertine, one of the social workers that we had the chance to meet, sharing about the dream chart with these kids. So this was a group of kids that were brand new to the program, and she was walking through what the dream chart is. And as she did that, she shared with, with them her own story and the things that she uh, put into the dream chart that she prepared, that she was showing them. So in that top left-hand corner, she started with those, those things that uh, it says, what I do not like. And, and Albertine said that in this square, what you write in there, what you draw in there, are those things that you don't want in your life, those things that you don't like in your life, those things that you may have experienced in your life that you do not want to happen again. And she said those things that you write into that box are not only those things that you don't want to happen in your life, but those are the things that you don't want to happen in anyone's life because you recognize that they're bad for, for everyone. And so in that box, uh, Albertine had written in child abuse, and she talked about being abused as a child and how she did not like that thing that happened to her in her life. And because she did not like it, she was now working with Zoe to make sure that those things didn't continue to happen in the lives of any child. In the second box, the, the box that says, what makes me sad, just below that, uh, Albertine had drawn a picture of a mass grave, and she talked about losing her parents and many of her family members uh, during the 1994 genocide. She said, even now when I remember that, it still makes me sad. But she said, that happened in the past, and I have learned that it is different from what is happening in my life today. She continued by saying, if something happens in my life that makes me sad, that I did not want to happen, I have to learn to cope with that so that I can make my own contribution to the world, working for peace so that what happened to me and my family never happens to another family. In the top right-hand corner, what I like, Albertine had drawn a glass of milk. She said, I really like a glass of milk. And in my life, when I was able to have a glass of milk, when, when, that, when that came, I really, really liked that. When I was able to drink the glass of milk, she had a picture of a family gathered around a table sharing a meal. She said one of the things that she really likes is when children have enough food to provide them the energy they need to go and play, as all children should be able to do. She talked about being able, coming to a place in her life where she was able to buy, go to the market and to buy enough food, not only for that day, but for multiple days, because she had the resources to do that. She didn't have to go to the market every single day, hoping she would have the resources to buy enough food for the day. She said in box four uh, to the kids, she said, this is where you write down what you want your future to be, what the dreams you have for your life. And, and so she encouraged them to think beyond simply having food for the day, talking to these kids who many of them hadn't eaten, eaten in three days. She said, once you get food, you move beyond that. And so she had a picture of a chicken and a rabbit and a goat and a cow. And she said, as you move through this program and as these dreams are realized in your life, what you do is you check off your dreams. And so when you get a chicken, you write a check. And when you get a rabbit, you write a check. And when you get a goat, you write a check. And when you get a home, you write a check. And she said, every time you check off a dream, you add a new dream. There's something else that you add to what you want to happen in your future. She said, you have to learn to not think so much about the history or the past, those things that are on the left side of the dream chart, but you must focus your energy now on fighting for your future. In box five, that final box, the guiding principle Albertine talked about being a hard worker, about being someone who wakes up early and goes to bed late so you have enough time to, to invest in the work that you need to do. She talked about being a servant. 
And she talked about planning to save resources. So Americans pay attention. You need to learn this. She, she said, what you do. See, no one has laughed at that joke all weekend long. And I think it's so funny. But this is what she said. And you're still not laughing. She said, when something happens in your life that you did not expect, when the harvest is bigger than you thought it was going to be, when, when that bushel of bananas that you cut down weighed a little bit more than you thought it was going to, and so you get a little bit more money out of that, she said, what you do is you save that. You set that aside because you don't know when you might need it. Or she said, you don't know when someone else in your community may need that. She said, so when I go to market and I see, this is, I promise this is a direct quote. When I see all these other women who are buying these extra shoes that they do not need, that's what she said. I promise that's what she said. She said, I don't do that because I have a plan and I save that because there may be a moment when I need it. Or there may be a, a moment when someone else in my community needs those resources. And so I set that aside and I, I save that. And she said that's one of the guiding principles that she's used in her life in order to step into that future. Now here's what you need to know. And you've already seen this in some of the footage that we've, that we've shown you. This simple dream chart that these kids fill out on the first day that they're together, this piece of paper goes with them throughout the entire three-year journey. This is the, the, the one tool that they use to establish a vision for their future, to build a bridge between their present circumstances and, and their hoped-for future. And this is what guides them every step of the way. When they get a home, and we were there on a day when, when kids got to share with us their, the home that they had just gotten, the first thing they hang on that wall is that dream chart. And if you go into that home, you will see a chicken and you'll see the check mark. And you'll see a home and you'll see the check mark. It's a dream that's been realized for them in their life. You saw Grace's dream chart. You've seen kids holding it. This is the, the tool that guides them in everything that they do, establishing for them a vision of what they want their future to be. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this It says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In other words, when we think about faith and what that word, that, that somewhat vague word means, it, when we think about faith, there is always a now and there is always a not yet. There's our present circumstance that, that we may not like, whatever it might be. But there's also this, this future possibility. There's this reality in which we're living, but there's also this, this outcome that has not yet been fully realized. And what that means is that faith with certainty isn't faith at all because there is always a gap between what we know and can see and experience now and what we hope will one day come. In other words, faith for all of us is the bridge that connects us between the moment that is now, the moment that has not yet come, what we know and we experience and we see with our eyes and what we hope and what we believe by faith will one day come about. And so with that idea, Hebrews 11 and Jeremiah 29 and this exercise that these kids go through that guides them through this, I wanted to share with you just a, a few implications for what I think that means as you think about change in your life is you think about the bridge between your present circumstances and future possibility, and we think about what does it mean to live by faith. Here's the first thought, that change always requires that we step into the unknown. 
Change always requires that we step in the unknown. In other words, if you are someone who desires to see change in your life, but you want that change to happen where you don't have to uh, go through any moment of fear or vulnerability or perhaps chaos in your life, that change will never come. If that is your desire to experience change with no risk involved, that change will never come. Because change always requires that we step out into the unknown, that we walk across that bridge that separates us from the now, uh, in, the now to, to the not yet to come in our life. Change always requires that we step out into that place where we are vulnerable and we, and we take a risk. And let me give you a very concrete example of that. I've had numerous conversations in my ministry with people who were having a relational issue with someone in their life, sometimes with their boss, sometimes with their coworker. This one may be hard to believe, but just trust me, sometimes between a husband and a wife who are just at a place in their life, they're at a place in their marriage where it seems like the only thing that is being churned up in that relationship is more heartache and pain. That every single conversation, every topic, no matter how significant or insignificant it might be, it always tends to go back to this fight that they continue to have. It turns, it, it, it recreates the struggle that has not been dealt with in their life. And the only thing that seems to be coming out of this is heartache and pain. And so whether I'm visiting with the, the husband or the wife or both of them together, they find themselves at a place where the change that they want to see, the healing, the reconciliation that they want to see realized in their life, they just can't seem to get there. And what we always talk about, we always talk about is that if change is going to happen, if healing is going to happen, here's what, here's what absolutely has to happen. At least one person in that relationship has to take a risk. At least one person in that relationship where both of you find yourself just leaning away, hoping not to get pummeled again, at least one person has to take the risk and decide to lean back into the relationship. At least one person has to be willing to say, I'm sorry. One person has to be willing to say something nice to the other person. And if you are not willing to take that risk, it doesn't matter how many counseling sessions you go to. It doesn't matter how much you invest in that. If no one's willing to take a risk, no change will come. And whenever that conversation, this is how that conversation goes every single time. Same question is asked in response to that every single time. Where you're visiting with one person or two people, they always ask me the same thing. They say, okay, I hear you. That makes sense. Someone's got to take a risk. Okay, here's the question. Is that going to work? Is it going to work? And here's the only, only way I can respond. I don't know. I don't know. It could be the first step to healing and restoration happen. Or it could be another opportunity for you to get pummeled again. It may lead to more, heart, more hurt and more heartache. But if you don't take the risk, you'll never know. And you'll never have the chance for healing to come into your life. Because change always re requires us to step into that place that we do not want to go, that place that we feel vulnerable and afraid and a little bit uncomfortable. But here's the second thought. It's vision that enables us to lean into that new future. It's the vision of where we want to go in our life, of where we feel like God is leading us in our life. It's our understanding of the moment that has not yet come 
that enables us to have the courage to lean into those places in our life where we do not want to go and experience that discomfort that all of us would want to avoid. It's a vision of, of who we want to become, what we want to do with our life, and what we feel like God is doing in us and leading us to. It's that vision that enables us to, to lean into that new future. So here's a question out of all of this. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you know what you want to do with your days and who you want to become over the course of your life? Do you have a vision for what you want your life to be? Because if you don't have that vision, if you lack that in your life, if you don't have an understanding in any way of that moment that has not yet come, it will be very difficult to do what you need to do now in order to experience that moment that has not yet arrived in your life. That's what it means to live by faith. It's about taking that risk and taking that first step in that place that you don't know what the response is going to be. You don't know whether this is going to be the most amazing thing that's ever happened in your life or, or, or maybe it's going to be something quite different from that. It's about taking that step and leaning into the future and into the unknown, the discomfort that we all want to avoid in our life. Let me close with a confession. The first couple of weeks of February, the thing that I most wanted to do, the thing that would have led to the, uh, the greatest amount of satisfaction in my life was not to get on a plane and go to Africa. That's my confession to you. Now, some of you, I understand, some of you are thinking, you're crazy. I mean, I would love to go to Africa. I mean, some of you, when we show you pictures and images and all, we, you hear these stories, you can't wait for our next trip. I mean, you are a crusader at heart. And, and if I told you that someone had a need in Siberia, you would say, I want to go. I want to go. I want to be there because that's just how you're wired. You have this, this extra energy and compassion at that part of your life. And, and the whole idea of what is risky or makes you vulnerable, like you don't go that way. All right. You're just thinking, wow, what an adventure. I could go to Africa. Some of you are not that way, okay? Some of you are more like me. And when you see these images and, these, and you hear these stories and you think about going to Africa, all you can think about is how long the plane ride is. You can think about that, oh, I've got to cross an ocean and I hope the plane doesn't fall out of the sky. You think about, well, where are you actually exact, exactly going to be? And can you call 911 and does an ambulance show up? And can, you, can it take you to the hospital? I mean, you think about everything that could go wrong if you take this trip. Maybe it's only a few of you, but if that's you, that's me, okay? That's, that's just how I'm wired. I'm more of a risk-averse person. I'm not someone who, who likes to step out in that place of vulnerability. I'm not going to go bungee jumping or jump out of a plane at any point in my life. I have no interest in that. And so th this whole idea of going to Africa for me was like, okay, I guess I need to go. I mean, that's kind of what I thought was I know I need to go. I know that as your pastor, I needed to go. I needed to go. And I went with everyone else on the trip who were crusaders. We're like, we're in Africa. This is so great. You know, I mean, they're just, they're so excited to be on this great adventure. And that's not how I felt. That's not how I felt. I felt vulnerable. I, I was out of, this is what I said to a really close friend of mine who knows me really well. I said, I said, Rwanda for me was 10 days uh, camped 100 miles outside my comfort zone. That's what it was like for me. And what that meant was that there were, there were many moments over the course of that trip where I just, I felt weak. I felt, I felt vulnerable. I, I felt sad. 
because I was so far away from my wife and my kids, and that just, that just makes me uncomfortable. But here's what I want you to know. That was so good for me. That was so good for me. It was, it was so good for me on the day that we saw Grace, and most of us didn't get to see Grace that long because we were passing through a village, so our video team stayed back and, and, and shared with her. And then they came and met us later, and Alex, who has put together all these videos, got the chance to see her and interact with her. And, and uh, he came up, and, and I said, how was it? You know, I, was, I knew it was going to be emotional for him to see Grace because he had shared her story and was doing this update. And I had given everyone on the trip some rubber band bracelets that my daughter had made. She'd made one for her, one for her brother, and one for her mom for me to wear while I was in Africa. And I had, she had extras because she's got a little factory going in there. And so, <laughs> so I passed those out, and, and um, Alex came up, and he said, I gave Grace Anna's bracelet. And this was one of those moments for me where it was like, okay, I just got to walk away because the tears that are going to come, guys, just so you know, they're not like, oh, I got something in my eye, you know, it's like, there's no excuse. I'm going to bawl for a moment here. I just, and I just need to, I just need to, I need to bawl for a moment because I miss my daughter and yet what an honor that this girl is wearing her bracelet. And when I get home, I get to tell her of the gift that she shared with her. Those moments are good. They're scary, but they're good. They change you. They change your heart, and they change your life. They may change your relationship that's, that's heading in a direction that you don't want to go. It may change your future forever to step in that place where you feel really vulnerable and weak and a little afraid. So I want to encourage you this week, and maybe in this moment right now, just to think about your life, and what's the vision for your life? What does God want to do in you? Who, who do you want to become? Who does God want you to become over the course of your life? I want you to think about that so that you will have the courage to step out in faith and perhaps do that thing that you don't want to do, but the thing you know you need to do now to get to the moment that has not yet come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for every person who is here today. I thank you, Lord, for the way in which you have carefully and with great creativity crafted each and every one of them. For the gifts that you have given them, Lord, for the things that they can do that just come so naturally and other people look at them and say, how do you do that? For the experiences of their lives, those those moments of joy and celebration, Lord, but also, Lord, for those moments that they wish they could have avoided, those things that may, in, in looking back, may make them feel sad. For all those things that you have done in our life, the grace that we have received that's made us who we are, and, and Lord, for the dreams you have for each person who is here, I pray, Lord, you would give them courage. Courage to see that vision, Lord. Courage to understand in a clear way what you want to do with them and who you want them to become and, and what it would look like, Lord, for them at the end of their life to say, I didn't waste my days, but I live my life well. Lord, give them that vision and give them that courage that will allow them to step into the unknown, to embrace, Lord, that moment that may make them feel afraid. And in doing that, Lord, to embrace the new life that you, that you are calling them to. May grace receive, Lord, 
Change us that we may share it in the way that you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.